Chapter 4, Random. So, Chapter 4 is almost 12,000 words. So, it's almost two and a half times the length of Chapter 3, and it's the longest chapter of the book. And, you know, in this chapter, Zelazny moves into high gear. It's like, enough with the real world. It's time to turn this thing into a full-blown fantasy novel. Zelazny said, quote, I didn't know exactly what sort of situation Corwin was going to be getting into in Nine Princes in Amber, but I knew it was going to be something unusual in another place of an exotic nature. I wanted that tie to reality, and I wanted to reinforce it later by having Corwin return to the world as we know it periodically, end quote. And of course, it's a little early for that. He hasn't even left the world yet, but it is one of the great things about the series is the way that Zelazny sets up this life that Corwin has in you know, the upstate New York area with his house and everything, and then he just goes off to Amber, and you think, oh, you know, he's never going back, but then he does come back in later novels, and it's important that he does, important to the story, and uh, it's just one of the most fun things about the books. Okay, so chapter four, Corwin beats the maid to the door, opens it up, and in staggers random. And we get a little bit of a description of of random. It's very different from what we saw on the card, but he knows it's him. He just describes him as looking tired, and there's dirt beneath his fingernails, and he's wearing the a suit and and you know he needs a shave and and you can just get the sense that the guy's looking a little haggard. And so they go off to the library, the three of them. Corwin gets him a drink. And then Random says, quote, they're after me. They'll be here soon, end quote. And, you know, Flora shrieks and they ignore her. So there's kind of more sexism. She's being sidelined by the two guys. And then Random says, quote, people out of the shadows. I don't know who they are, or who sent them. There's four or five, though, maybe six. They were on the plane with me. I took a jet. They occurred around Denver. I moved the plane several times to subtract them, and it didn't work, end quote. And you're getting the first detailed reference to shadow shifting. And we're going to experience this firsthand when they go to Amber, but this is really the first sense of it. And as a reader, you're pretty confused, and Corwin's certainly very confused about all this talk of adding and subtracting. You know, it doesn't make any sense. But Corwin's still faking it. You know, who sent them? You know, Random's guessing, like, is it Blaze? Is it Julian? Is it Kane? It's interesting that they don't suggest Eric at this point. I don't know why it would be Julian or Kane. They're just working for Eric. But Flora will later say this isn't Eric's style. And then Random talks about how he would have tried an ambush if he could have, but there's just a few too many of them. And Corwin kind of points out that he's surprised that this little guy thinks he could take even two or three guys. And he says that Random's, quote, maybe five, six in height, weighing perhaps 135, end quote. And that's awfully specific that he can guess that he weighs 135 pounds, but nonetheless, five, six in height. And, you know, that is pretty short for a Prince in Amber, if you think about it guessing he's a foot shorter than Benedict. Anyway, they're sort of trying to figure out what to do about these guys that are about to attack them. Random says to his sister, 
quote, when's the last time you stood to battle, end quote. And, you know, she says, oh, gosh, it's been a long time. And I kind of like the idea that Flora did stand battle in the past. They're just sort of invoking this time long ago when perhaps they were all getting along better and unified against common enemies of Amber and, you know, out on the battlefields. And I don't, I don't see Flora standing battle against recent adversaries like Dalt. You know, she's more sort of into the palace intrigue at that stage, but maybe in the more distant times, the Moon Riders out of Ganesh, the creatures from Weirmonken, and we'll get reference to these kinds of battles of old. And, you know, again, to be fair to Flora, in the Patternfall War at the end of the Courts of Chaos, she'll be mentioned as standing among the archers. And so maybe there's a toughness to her that she doesn't get credit for. Anyway, at some point, you know, they're trying to figure out what to do. Corrin says maybe we should call the cops, and they laugh at him. They think he's joking. Of course, he's not. So he, you know, he's kind of having to cover his tracks here as he still fakes his way through it. And then we get the sense that these creatures that have been following random that are about to show up, you know, they're capable of some kind of mind control. Random says he's decided that it's improbable that the maid will answer the door, but nonetheless, the maid does go to answer the door. And they say, quote, that shows the strength of the opposition, end quote. You know, so there's something supernatural afoot. And as the reader, you're just like, okay, this is getting weirder and weirder. There's a little bit of back and forth where they're all kind of going, what's going on? Is this you? Did you do this? Like, are you going to kill me? You know, they just trust no one. But they decide that, no, these guys are here and they need to band together as a group and put up a defense. And what follows is basically the first battle sequence of Nine Princes in Amber. And it's just such an awesome scene. There's breaking of glass as the creatures figured out how to get into the back of the house. And then Flora blows the dog whistle. And so the dogs are getting involved. You know, Corwin's got his gun and he's shooting. And the guys breaking in the back of the house have guns. And then Random takes the sword and he cuts off one of their heads and Corwin picks up a giant chair and he surprises himself with his own strength and he throws it and breaks the back of one of the guys. And basically they kill them all in this cool action sequence that I think really kind of represents the blending of, you know, what started as this detective story grounded in the real world and what is becoming kind of this fantasy novel. And you've got this mixture of guns and swords of dogs and throwing a furniture and it's just this cool kind of gumbo soup of weapons and you know it is really the the transition from the real world into fantasy playing out before our eyes and then after the battle's over and they've got all these dead bodies they start examining them and sure enough these shadow creatures as random called them do suggest that we're on the brink of entering into some other world you know, they've got really weird hands, spurs on the back of their hands, and weird eyes and weird skin. They're basically kind of alien. And Random's like, quote, they crawled out of the shadows all right, end quote. And it's kind of weird because he's pretending like he doesn't know. They might be creatures out of shadow. It's, you know, and then when he kills them, he's like, yeah, absolutely. These things came out of shadow, but it it doesn't really add up because Random knows full well they came out of shadow. They've been chasing him. You know, we'll learn later that these were the actual creatures that were guarding Bran's tower. 
Random was called upon to try to rescue Brand, and he went to that crazy distant shadow and fought this big snake creature, and he couldn't quite get to Brand, and so he had to make a run for it, and these guys chased him. So he knows full well where these guys came from. But for some reason, he's sort of pretending he doesn't really know. He's playing it kind of cool. And, you know, that is sort of the way of our kind, you know, not to trust each other, not to tell everyone what they know. You know, later in Sign of the Unicorn, when Corwin questions Random about all this, he'll say that he never had time to tell the story, you know, but he's got time right now. He could tell it. It's just that he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to mention Brand. He doesn't want to mention anything to anyone. Trust no one. Anyway, Corwin and Random go back to the library. Flora leaves to go talk to the maid, who's probably freaking out. And there's a little bit of a private moment between Corwin and Random about Flora. Random asks, quote, she's still Eric's, end quote. And Corwin's like, yeah, as far as I know. And we'll get this language of, like, Flora belongs to Eric, and she's Eric's creature, and all of this sort of thing. And, you know, you get the sense that the Eric-Flora relationship goes a little further back than we might imagine. Certainly Random's been gone from Amber for a while, but he still knows that Flora's kind of working for Eric. And then the two guys are talking about what comes next, and Random's like, are you going to do it? And Corwin's like, maybe. And Random's like, quote, don't maybe me, baby. It's written all over you. Of all my relations, I like sex the best and Eric the least, end quote. And you sort of get this like cheesy 70s, almost like Austin Powers way of speaking coming out of Random. And then Random is like, hey, Corwin, you and I have gotten along the best in the family, which I have a hard time believing even if you exclude Deirdre, who clearly is the one that Corwin got along the best with, you know, you've still got Blaze, who Corwin says he, you know, he likes him a lot. He's got an affection for Gerard. I don't know why Random thinks that the two of them got along the best, but, you know, it could just be Random's way of seeing what he wants to see. And Random asks if there's a deck of the Trump cards anywhere, and Corwin's like, no. So that's reinforcing that the Trumps are super important. You know, it, it checks out that Random doesn't have his, and Zelazny will tie that off later on. He just lost them in a big action sequence on his way to Shadow Earth. And then Flora and the maid come back and there's food and they eat and drink and so forth. And then they go to bed and they wake up in the morning and everything's cleaned up. No evidence of any of this. The bodies are gone. Everything's repaired. And obviously Flora has done some shadow shifting to make that happen. And then Corwin says, quote, we borrowed Flora's Mercedes and went for a drive. End quote. And I just love how, with this simple sentence, we just leave Flora behind. And they're never coming back. And we won't see her again for at least a couple of novels, although she does get a brief mention at the coronation dinner. And Corwin and Random just kind of drive off and start figuring out the plan. And so they're driving, they're driving around and smoking cigarettes. And eventually Corwin says, quote, well, when do you want to start? End quote. And Random's like, whenever you're ready. And Corwin's like, what about now? And he doesn't even know what he's talking about. He just knows there's some objective, something that he's going to go for. And he wants to beat Eric and 
randoms just looking at him kind of going like all right and, and it's great because you know it fits with random's character he's a gambler and then he starts shadow shifting and we get just the weirdest sequence where the whole world starts changing around them and we're introduced to this concept of traveling through parallel universes and there's just some wonderful visuals in here and i just try to imagine the movie right like there would just be great special effects here and you've got this car from the 70s and now it's suddenly driving through all these kind of fantasy worlds and random says quote it's been around 20 years since i've taken the walk i'm remembering the right things too soon end quote and that's kind of interesting to think about the timeline there and if we assume he means amber time 20 years that would be around the time that dealer the desecratrix is attacking amber and she's killed by blaze and you have all the business with Dalt that will come after that. So that's roughly the timeline if we're talking about 20 years ago. And, you know, maybe Random would have walked back to Amber instead of taking the Trumps during that time. Who knows? And they're driving and they're smoking cigarettes and the world keeps changing around them. And Corwin's just playing it cool like it's totally normal. And Random says, quote, all roads lead to Amber, end quote. And, you know, that's a reference to all roads lead to Rome. And I think this is a good time to pause for a moment and talk about shadows and shadow shifting. So in his biography, Theodore Krulik says, quote, For Corwin, shadows, always capitalized, describe the parallel world's phenomenon. They are the variant worlds cast in progressively distorted images of the land of amber. Zelazny sifted through the parallel world concepts he had known in the writings of other writers of the genre before he came up with one that was uniquely his own. If there is an infinity of parallel worlds in which anything can exist, and if one of them allowed for a race of intelligent beings with the ability to traverse these worlds under their own power, then he considered that it follows that one particular world must be the keystone or the archetypical world." End quote. And Krulik goes on to quote Zelazny himself, who said, quote, I looked at it from a sort of radial symmetry and placed this world in the middle of others in concentric rings. Just that mental image when it came along for some reason, the name Amber occurred to me, end quote. And so it's about this time, I guess, that Zelazny's really forming the notion of the parallel worlds. Amber is the one true world at the center of it, casting shadows, and all the other worlds are pale imitations of this one true world where the family reigns. It's interesting that he says the name Amber comes to him as he's picturing this radial map, if you will, of Amber and all the shadows. And I read somewhere, and, and unfortunately I can't find it again, that the name Amber was more about the trump cards and these characters trapped beneath the surface of these cold, glossy playing cards, and it felt like insects trapped in amber. And again, I can't find that, so if anyone wants to email me that reference or can verify that, let me know. But that's always stuck with me, that that's where the name Amber came from. Anyway, Random goes on to say, quote, I'm sure I shifted the way he wanted us to, whoever put that block, and it pisses me off that I did what he expected, end quote. And he's talking about these roadblocks that they're encountering, all these obstacles, and, you know, there's like a big dinosaur that runs across the road, and there's bad weather, and it's going well at first, but then they're having challenges, and again, Corwin has no idea what's going on, but Random's kind of articulating 
all the problems he's having getting to Amber. You know, and Corwin brings up the fact that Flora had tried to get to Amber the day before and had come back frustrated and, and had hit roadblocks. And so he kind of mentions that to sound smart and be part of the conversation. Random sort of rolls his eyes and says, quote, the woman has very little imagination. She doesn't really deserve to live, but that's not for me to say, end quote. And, you know, this is just an incredibly, like, misogynistic and harsh thing to say. Flora deserves to die because she has little imagination. Anyway, we just kind of continue to get this characterization of random that's pretty awful. And who's he talking about when he says, I did what he wanted us to do, and it pisses me off, I did what he expected. And he's talking about Eric, obviously. And it's an idea that's not all that well developed later on. It's almost kind of a red herring that Eric is setting up these blocks for shadow walkers. You know, on the one hand, we do know that the Eric Julian Kane cabal is aware of, you know, the redheads and the potential military attack that's coming their way. And it does make sense that they would set up some obstacles and have defenses, you know, but for that to be so far into shadow that individual people trying to get to Amber would have these roadblocks, it's it's just not all that well developed. And, you know, it sort of gives way more to the idea that these dark creatures from chaos and far reaching places are starting to penetrate Amber and have been for the last few years. And, you know, maybe that's why they've put up some defenses, but it's just a little confusing at the moment. And then eventually they're sort of driving on a hill and they're run off the road by a truck. And there's this interesting sequence where they kind of avoid the collision and the Mercedes gets run off the shoulder and gets stuck in the mud. And the guy gets out of the truck and he runs over to them and he's like yelling at them and Random takes out a gun and he's basically about to execute the guy. And right before he pulls the trigger, Corwin knocks the gun off to the side and, you know, it misses him and the driver gets in the truck and drives off and Random's kind of pissed off, like, hey, we could have hit the truck, you know, with that bullet. And like, what's wrong with you, man? I'm just looking after your honor. And Corwin's like, I can take care of my own honor. And they have a little back and forth. And this is kind of the first sign, if you will, of Corwin's softening. And this is a theme that's going to come up over and over again. You know, that time on Shadow Earth softened me or I've become softened by the centuries I spent there. And, you know, you get the sense that Corwin's starting to develop a conscience because of all this time he's spent, presumably, with people on Earth who have more of a conscience. And it's kind of this foreign concept for a Prince of Amber. And you get the sense that the Prince of Amber is like a very, very emotionally simplistic creature. Kill, be killed, honor. And it's kind of interesting to think about Random in all of this. You know, Random is on a journey that in many ways is much more impressive than Corwin's in terms of the distance he has to travel. You know, Corwin's like pretty much a jerk and kind of an awful guy, and we'll find out that he was a tyrant, and you know, and he sort of softens, and he learns a lot about himself, and he goes on this journey. But Random, I mean, he's just misogynistic and murderous and, you know, just fully self-centered character, and he goes on an even bigger arc to become the king of Amber, and somebody that the unicorn would pick to run the whole thing. And I just kind of like the way Zelazny is putting Corwin's journey into sort of a frame of reference, and in some ways making his journey more plausible by bracketing it with this like even crazier journey that Random goes on. Anyway, 
Also, what's interesting in this scene is that Random says, quote, I'm sorry, brother. I did not mean to presume. It offended me to hear one of them speak to you in such a manner, end quote. And then later, after they get in the car, Random goes, quote, look, I want to apologize again, end quote. And Corwin's like, don't worry about it. It's over. You know, let's, let's move forward. And, you know, I just think that's fascinating that Random apologizes twice. That seems a little out of character. You know, later Corwin will say, like, for a Prince of Amber to apologize, it really means something. And it's part of that lore again of, like, we don't apologize. That's just how things were. And for Random to throw out two apologies back to back right now, just that seems a little out of character. Anyway, they keep going through all these crazy worlds. There's some wonderful descriptions of a city made all out of glass, and they drive through it. And uh, Random says, quote, the Charles Forts of this place will doubtless quote this happening for many years, end quote. And this is kind of a cool reference to Charles Fort, who was an American writer, died in 1932, and he specialized in anomalous phenomena that were not well explained by accepted theories and beliefs of the time. And he had a collection of scientific anomalies, including the Book of the Damned, 1919. And these works influenced a bunch of science fiction writers in the early and mid part of the century. Science fiction writers kind of mined Charles Fort for different ideas about weird happenings. And, you know, there were a bunch of writers of note, Philip K. Dick, Robert Heinlein, and Robert Anton Wilson, who were big fans of the work of Charles Fort. And so it's kind of a cool reference for Zelazny. Makes no sense whatsoever that Random would know who this guy is, by the way, but, you know, that's just Zelazny coming through. And then at one point, Corwin says, quote, we've now got less than a quarter tank of gas, end quote. And so they go through this kind of complicated shadow shifting to come up with a gas station and get some lunch at the time. And it's, you know, it's a little bit of a stretch that they have to stop for gas. I don't know why Random can't just shadow shift them a car with a full tank of gas. You know, he's changed the steering wheel like four times on them. But that's okay. It's kind of a fun scene. They stop to get gas. Corwin goes to pay. His money's different now. And Zelazny's just kind of easing us into this as the reader, you know, parallel universes, shadow shifting. And then, of course, they eat a bucket of chicken and have some salty tasting beer. And I love that Zelazny's always very realistic about making sure his characters eat. And then they get back on the road. And eventually they enter a forest. So in the next episode, we'll pick up with Corwin and Random's journey as they head to Amber. But before we wrap up this episode, I wanted to cover one other thing, which is Roger Zelazny's inspiration for the novels, namely The Dark World. This was a pulp fantasy novel written by Henry Kuttner, or possibly by his wife. It's unclear. It was originally published in 1946 and is widely considered to be the primary inspiration for the Amber series. And a blurb about the book reads, quote, World War II veteran Edward Bond's recuperation from a disastrous fighter plane crash takes a distinct turn for the weird when he encounters a giant wolf, a red witch, and the undeniable power 
of the Needfire, a portal to a world of magic and swordplay at once terribly new and hauntingly familiar. In the Dark World, Bond opposes the machinations of the dreadlord Ganelon and his terrible retinue of werewolves, wizards, and witches, but all is not as it seems in this shadowy mirror of the real world, and Bond discovers that a part of him feels more at home here than he ever has on Earth. End quote. Now, I haven't read this book. I would like to. The main character doesn't exactly have amnesia, but he does discover, apparently, that he shares a body with an alternate version of himself, and he's got fragments of memories that are not his, and he has to bluff his way through situations. And this was an important book that Zelazny read in his youth, and according to Kovacs, quote, it wasn't until Jane Linsgold pointed out the similarities to him that Zelazny realized its importance as an influence, end quote. So that's all kind of fascinating and makes me want to pick up a copy of The Dark World. 